Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. Exodus chapter 4. This morning we're going to return to Exodus chapter 4, and we're going to continue with the story of Moses. Now, after, um, after Moses' initial resistance to God's call, and that's what we talked about last week, how Moses initially, remember, he resisted God's call, even though he had seen the burning bush, even though he heard God's voice, uh, he still pushed back a little bit. Um, and said, uh, God, you know, I wish you would get somebody else because, first of all, they're not going to believe. They're not going to believe me. Remember, I tried that once before. They didn't believe me. So they're not going to believe me. And then he, and he said, besides that, I'm not very eloquent. I can't speak very well. And so he pushed back against God's call, but, initially, but eventually he accepts God's call. And um, he, re- he relents to God's call, and he agrees then to return to Egypt where he will be used by God to lead Israel out of bondage and into, or at least uh, up to, as we know, the land that has been promised to Abraham, a land that the Bible says is flowing with milk and honey, a land that God has given to his people. So the rest of Exodus chapter 4 is, is a segue. It is a, it is a transition from the call of God to the fulfillment of that call, which, at which um, uh, Moses actually returns to Egypt. So it's a transition which takes Moses from Midian, where he was, uh, back to Egypt. And in fact, verses 18 through 31, which we're going to read here in just one second, those verses condense um, a lot of preparations that had to take place. And a lot of things that, that had to be done as Moses makes that transition from Midian uh, to Egypt. So it, it, it condenses a lot of that. However, this passage does, that we're going to read here in just one moment, this passage does contain five key conversations that, that Moses had as he makes progress back toward Egypt, to return to Egypt. Five um, specific scenes and with, with different individuals in different settings uh, that Moses has as he makes his progress back toward his calling. Let me give those to you. Before we read, let me just break it down for you. The first one is with Jethro. First scene is with Jethro as he asked permission from Jethro to leave Midian and then to return to Egypt. That's verses 18 through 20. The second scene, second conversation, uh, if you will, is with God as, as uh, God gives Moses some instruction about his confrontation with Moses. He tells him, here's what you say, here's what you do when you, when you appear to Moses. The third, that's verses 21 through 23. Then scene number three or conversation number three is with Zipporah, Moses' wife. And Moses doesn't really say much in either his conversation with God or with Zipporah. Um, but the third one is with Zipporah as Zipporah circumcises their son, Moses and her, uh, their son. She has to circumcise their son. That's verses 24 through 26. The fourth then 
is with Aaron. Um, after this episode with Zipporah, then Aaron comes out. This Moses' brother. Aaron comes out and he joins his brother Moses in, in the wilderness. And then the fifth, the final conversation or scene that we have in this latter part of chapter 4 is with the elders of Israel. As Moses and Aaron go to them and they present God's message. This is what God has, has said. That's the final verses, verses 29 through 31. So, so the rest of this chapter consists of five very specific scenes or conversations that Moses has as he is progressing back toward uh, Egypt. We'll deal with each one of these as we read this, as, as, or you'll see them as we read it. But let's read the passage beginning in verse number 18. Mo, uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse number 18. So Moses went back to Jethro. This is after his visitation from God. He accepts the call. Moses goes back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. And so Moses took his wife and his sons, and he had them ride on a donkey, and he went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all of the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Then verse number 24, and at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. And so he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Verse 27, and the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and he met him at the mountain of God and he kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him, uh, with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. And then verse 29, then Moses and Aaron went and they gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. We pray that, Lord, we would receive it this morning the same way that those who heard it from Moses and Aaron received it that we would receive it with faith, with gratitude, with, with reverence in our heart, and with joy that we would worship you this morning. We're also asking, Lord, that you would accomplish your purpose and your plans here today. God, I pray that you would anoint me to speak and that you would give us all ears to hear this morning. God, we pray that you would contend with us today by your Holy Spirit. We ask the Lord you to reveal those things in each one of us that 
that may prevent us from serving the purpose that you have called us to. Afflict us, Lord, if necessary, with the gravity of our sin. Yet in your wrath, God, please remember mercy. Forgive us and heal us, Lord, so that we can rejoice to do your will and so that we can worship you in the beauty of holiness. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Now, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 says this about Moses. Do you know what Mo, uh, Numbers 12, 3 says about Moses? Numbers 12, 3 says that Moses was a very meek man. A very meek man. In fact, it says more than all the people who are on the face of the earth, that Moses was more meek than anyone else on the face of the earth. Since the book of Numbers was also written by Moses, how many knows that seems like an immodest thing for him to say about himself? <laughs> sort of like a, what, what is it they call it now on social media? A humble brag, right? You post a picture and you say something that sounds like it's supposed to be humble, but you're actually kind of drawing attention to yourself. It's almost like Moses is saying, I'm the most humble person on the face uh, of the earth. So it seems like an immodest thing for Moses to say, unless that verse is actually, as some people um, believe, unless that verse is actually a parenthetical statement that was, that was added by a person that was transcribing for Moses. Moses was dictating and they were transcribing the book and so they included that parenthetical statement to give uh, insight to the rest of the context of that verse. Either way, either way, here's the point, it actually seems to be true about Moses, that he was a meek man, that he was a humble man. Moses was a meek man. And, and in fact, we see that in the first thing that he does after his encounter with God in the wilderness. The Bible says that he goes back to his father-in-law Jethro and he said, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still Alive Now, culturally, that would have been the expectation anyway, that Moses was in Jethro's household. Jethro was the head of the household. He was the, he was the leader of the clan, and so Moses was under his authority. He was in his household. In fact, furthermore, we know that Moses was actually a beneficiary of his wealth. He kept his flocks, and so he, was, he received his livelihood from Jethro. And furthermore, he was married to Jethro's daughter. And so asking Jethro's permission was, was not only the polite thing to do, but how many knows it was the proper thing for, for Moses to do. But it, but it was also an incredibly humble thing for Moses to do. Somebody who had um, just heard from God uh, it was an incredibly humble thing that he, considering he had just had this experience with God, considering he had just had this encounter with a burning bush and he had heard God's voice. He had, he had just talked to God. He had just received um, from him instructions to return to Egypt and to lead Israel out of bondage. And now Moses is... Moses is submitting that call into the authority and to the affirmation of Jethro, his, his father-in-law. In fact, he doesn't even mention the burning bush. 
He doesn't say, Jethro, you know, I want to go back. And, you know, by the way, um, I saw God in a burning bush, and he, he told me to go. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't even mention the burning bush. He doesn't invoke God's name. He doesn't say, you know, I've, God has revealed himself to me as the great I am. He simply asks to be allowed to return to Egypt. And it's implied, and this is important, it's implied that he will take his family with him, Jethro's daughter and Jethro's grandsons. So that makes, that makes it entirely possible that Jethro is going to say what? No. <laughs> um, in fact, since it's his father-in-law, it's entirely possible that Jethro will say, okay, Moses, you can go but not my daughters <laughs> and not my grandsons. Lord, have mercy on the young man who comes and asks to date Abigail because I'm going to say, no, go on. <laughs> um, I saw uh, Barry. I don't, I don't want to put Barry on the spot. I saw he was wearing a T-shirt the other night. It had rules for dating my daughter, and it had rule number one, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> rule number one for dating my daughter, don't. Just don't do it. <laughs> So, um, so it's entirely possible that Jethro's going to say, no, no, you can't go. I need you here to keep the flock. No, or Moses, you can go, but not my daughter, not my grandsons. You, they stay here. Um, so Moses, Moses is completely humble. He's a meek man. He, Moses has a commission from God, but he asked for permission from Jethro because he's a meek man. Uh, how many knows meekness is not weakness? Meekness is not weakness. Actually, it is a fruit of the Spirit. It's the evidence. I believe it's one of the evidences that Moses had had an experience with God because he didn't have to go try to convince Jethro about it. He said, okay, if this is God, then I'm just going to go and ask, and, and God will work it out. Moses doesn't feel compelled to coerce or convince Jethro because he's confident in God. He's confident in what he has heard. If this was from God, then Jethro uh, would not prevent it. In fact, the only thing that Jethro can do is confirm that it's from God. And, and in fact, that's what Jethro does by saying, go in peace. Um, God used Jethro to confirm the call that Moses had received to return to Egypt. And so Moses sets out. With the staff of God in his hand. Don't remember, don't forget the staff. God told Moses, Moses, take the staff. Don't forget the staff. And, and did you notice that it's no longer, it's no longer Moses' staff? It's no longer the staff of Moses. The Bible says it's the staff of God. And so Moses sets out with the staff of God in his hand. And it's the staff of God because remember, now it is the visible representation of the promise that God has made to Moses. Moses, I will be with you. And it's a reminder that Moses doesn't have to do this in his own power, but that he can rely on the power of God, that he can rely on God's assistance and God's presence in his life. So it's a visible reminder that God will be with him and that God will stretch out his hand to assist, to help Moses to supernaturally supplement um, his human inadequacies. And so in this next section that we talked about earlier, 
God's conversation with, with Moses. God then prepares Moses that, that he will need to remember that promise, that he would be with Moses. Um, God reminds him that he'll have to rely on his power because God says to Moses that he's going to harden, that God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. This, this would not be easy. What God had called Moses to was, was not going to be easier, easy. Now, earlier God had said, Moses, the men who are seeking your life are dead. And I can imagine that Moses probably breathed a sigh of relief when he heard that, don't you? Oh, whew. Pharaoh is dead. The one who sought my life is dead. So he probably breathed a sigh of relief. At least he wouldn't have to confront the Pharaoh that had sought uh, to kill him. However, then God says, but you will have to confront the current Pharaoh. And by the way, Moses, I'm going to harden his heart and, and he's going to refuse to let my people go. This was, this was not going to be easy. In fact, God gives Moses the words to say to Pharaoh. He says, this is what you say to Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now, can you imagine saying that to the man who is possibly the most powerful man in the world? Uh, I mean, you think it was difficult for Moses to tell his father-in-law <laughs> that he was taking his daughter away. I remember how nervous I was when I asked Irene's dad if I could, if I could marry Irene. You think Moses was, was nervous about talking to his father-in-law. Can you imagine how nervous he must have been when God said, this is what you say to Pharaoh. You say to him, let my son go. If you don't, then I'll kill your firstborn son. I can imagine that he was, that he was pretty nervous. Can you, can you imagine how dangerous it would have been for him to confront Pharaoh and to say those, those words? That would have required, well, that would have required incredible courage, wouldn't it? Moses was a meek man, what we're not sure is whether or not Moses was a courageous man. Did he have the courage to say that to Pharaoh? In fact, up to this point, um, we've not seen that Moses possessed that kind of courage, have we? It doesn't seem that he has that kind of courage, that he can say that sort of thing. And, and that's kind of the point that God um, makes to Moses before reminding him to do before Pharaoh all of the miracles that he had put in his power. He said, now Moses, when you appear before Pharaoh, I want you to be sure to perform all of the miracles that I put it in your power to do that. In other words, I think he's saying to Moses, Moses, this is going to require more courage. This is going to require more power. It's going to require more than you naturally possess. This is going to require more of you than, than you currently possess in your own personality. In fact, Moses would have been foolish to have appeared before Pharaoh without the presence and without the power of God. He would have been foolish 
to stand before Pharaoh in his, in his own power and, and in his own ability and to confront Pharaoh with, with that kind of threat. You let my son go or I'll kill your son. If I remember, Moses had tried once before in his own power to deliver the people of Israel and, and he failed miserably in his, in his own power. Here's Here's the thing. Moses cannot return to Egypt as the same man that he was when he fled Egypt. He can't go back in his own power. He can't go back the same individual that, that he was when he came out of Egypt. He must, Moses must return with the presence and with the power of of God in his life. And that's why God is telling him, now Moses, when you stand before Pharaoh, make sure that you do all of the signs that I put it in your power to do because you can't go back the same way you left out. You can't go back and be the same person you were when you were there before you have to go back with the power and the presence of God in, in your life. Which brings us to this next um, peculiar section, verses 24 through 26. The Bible says that at a lodging place along the way, the Lord met him and that the Lord sought to put him to death. Now, let me just say um, about this section this morning, that this is a, it's a difficult passage. It's, it's, an, it's an odd passage. Isn't, would you agree with me? It's an odd passage, and it's impossible, actually, to interpret precisely for, for several reasons. Well, there's at least three reasons that makes it so hard to interpret these verses, what happens at a lodging place with Zipporah. Uh, one is because, well, I mean, let's just face it. One is because of the delicate nature of what's going on here, makes it hard for us to talk about and discuss. Um, another reason is because of its reference to a um, bridegroom of blood, which is a phrase, which is a term that we really don't have any reliable reference for context to. So it's difficult to know even what that means, what, what Zipporah is referring to in this passage um, and then the third reason, another reason that makes it so hard to interpret correctly what's going on here is because of the pronouns, because the pronouns get kind of messed up. In fact, there's even one variant reading the as, and he left her instead of him. And so we're, we're not real sure who is talking about when it says, and God sought to kill him. Is he, gonna, is he trying to kill Moses? Is he trying to kill Moses' son? Um, and so... The pronouns makes it difficult for us to know who's being referred to. And any interpretation, let me just say this this morning, any interpretation, and there are many <laughs> interpretations of this passage, some of which are wildly speculative and um, some that are quite specious, in fact. But any interpretation leaves questions that we can't answer um, sufficiently. I mean, it's, it's going to... To some extent, we're going to be scratching our heads about this passage itself. But let me tell you what I believe that we can reasonably know is happening in this episode 
with, without getting into um, too much of the graphic details, all right, let me tell you what I think is happening in this situation. First of all, somewhere along the way to Egypt, as Moses and his family are making their way to Egypt, somewhere along the way at a stopover place, we presume at night, after they're, they're stopped and they're camping, staying over for the night, somewhere along the way, God visits Moses and he shows up. Um, and during this encounter, Moses' life is in peril. Now, there, there's some interpretations that say this was a demonic force that visited um, Moses. But, but you look back in your Bible at that verse. Remember what I told you about when you see the word Lord capitalized? What is that? Yahweh. It's Yahweh. And so it's, it's pretty clear that God shows up. And that he visits Moses at this way station along the way. And so during this encounter with God, when God visits Moses here, uh, Moses' life is in peril. He's about to die. He's about to die. And, and we don't know if God is threatening Moses' life uh, directly, as in this is a theophany, God is there and he's about to kill Moses. Um, we don't know if God is threatening Moses' life indirectly um, in a sense that Moses becomes violently ill and he's about to die and it's the finger of God. It's God is um, doing this in his life. We only know that either way, God shows up, visits Moses, and Moses' life is in peril. Moses, Moses is about to die and it seems that the reason that he's about to die is because he had neglected the covenant sign of circumcision. And here again, we're not, we're not real clear if, that's, if it's referring to Moses himself, if it's referring to Moses' son only. It's definitely, it seems to be referring to Moses' son, that he had not been circumcised. It may have been true of Moses as well, that he was not circumcised. Either way, Moses is responsible and he's about to die because he had neglected this covenant sign of, of circumcision. In fact, Moses is so affected that Moses is incapacitated in this scene. He's either, like I said, he is either uh, engaged, God is wrestling with him, or he is deathly ill or sick, and either way, he's incapacitated. He's, he is unable to perform the circumcision on him, his son himself, and therefore his wife, Zipporah, has to circumcise their son. And then, and then she applies the blood to Moses. She applies the blood to Moses. And what happens next is that God, God accepts this um, act as an atonement for the sin of Moses and the Bible says that God withdraws and allows Moses to live. And it's like I said, it's a, it's a weird passage. It's a quirky <laughs> kind of passage, isn't it? Uh, but in my opinion, it's, it's hugely significant. It's a very important passage. It happens, as I points out, pointed out earlier, it happens in the middle of this transitional account of Moses as he's on his way back to Egypt. And as it turns out, I think it's a, I think it's a turning point 
it's a turning point for Moses. Because afterwards, after this, notice the two things that Moses worried about before he accepted the call. Those two things are easily resolved. God, in fact, miraculously, God resolves both of those um, objections that Moses raised. Remember, his first objection was what? They're not going to believe me. I can go and I can tell them, but they're not going to believe me. His second objection was what? I'm not eloquent. I can't speak. And God said what? Well, there's, there's Aaron. You can use Aaron. And so what happens immediately after this? Aaron shows up. God sends Aaron out to meet him. And so Aaron shows up. Um, uh, sent by God. He comes out, joins Moses in the wilderness. Moses does exactly what God told him to. Moses tells him all of the words of the Lord, and Aaron becomes his mouthpiece. Problem solved, right? <laughs> Issue resolved. Then they go together, Aaron and Moses go together to Egypt where they meet with the elders of Israel and they speak the words that God has told them to say. They perform the signs that God has told them to perform. And how did the, how did the elders respond? They believe. They believe. In fact, they bow their head and they worship. They worship God. I believe. So both of those problems are easily resolved. After Moses has this experience at this way station in, on his way to Egypt. So I believe, I believe what happened to Moses in that moment when God sought to put him to death is, is what happened to Jacob when God wrestled with him. He was changed. He was changed. He was made into a different man. He was made into a different uh, individual. Moses, now listen, Moses' name wasn't changed, but Moses was changed. Moses was no longer the same man that had come out of Egypt. The blood had been applied. His sins had been forgiven. His life had been restored, and he returned to Egypt as a different man. He returned to Egypt with God's presence and in God's power. Therefore, he was, he was prepared to succeed where before he had failed because he was a different man this time. Now listen, I understand this morning that it's confusing to consider that God, would, that God would call Moses to return to Egypt and then that God would catch him along the way and that God would nearly kill him because that doesn't, I know that doesn't easily conform to our concept of God's love, does it? Doesn't automatically conform to what we think of when we think of God's love. However, it does what I want you to consider this morning is that it does fit into the biblical descriptions of God's fierce and jealous love. The fierce love that he has for us. In fact, God loves us so much that he is unwilling for us to persist in a sin that will destroy us. God loves us so much that if he sees, 
that we are persisting in a sin that is going to destroy us. How many believes that God is going to get right in your business? Amen. <laughs> and that he's going to call you out on something in your life. God loves it. Listen, can I tell you this morning? God is so committed to your welfare. God is so committed to do good to you. God is so committed to bring glory out of your life that he would rather discipline you for your good than to indulge you to your ruin. Now, some people think that that's not a God kind of love. God loves me. He's going to always do good for me. <laughs> I believe that God's love is a fierce kind of love. That says, if you're going in a direction that you shouldn't go, I'm going to get in your way, and I'm going to try to stop you. I believe this. God's love is a kind of love that says, I am so committed to you doing good that even if it means I'm going to have to get on you and discipline you for righteousness' sake, that I'm going to, I'm going to do it because I'm committed to your success. I'm committed to do good to you. I'm Remember what we talked about last week? The reason that God got angry with Moses? It wasn't that he got angry and said, Moses, I'm just going to smack. He got angry with Moses because Moses kept resisting the good that God wanted to do in his life. God is saying to Moses, Moses, I want to bless you. I want to use you. And you just keep pulling back and saying, no, no, I don't, I don't think God finds somebody else. And God is saying, but Moses, I'll be with you. And, and I'm going to do wonderful things in your life. I'm going to display my power and my glory in your life. So just let me use you the way that I want to use you. I think it's the same kind of fierce love that's coming out here where God is saying, Moses, you can't go back to Egypt in your own power. You can't go back as the same man. You've got to go in the power and the presence of God. Because if you go back the same way that you came out, then you're going to fail. So God is so committed to Moses' success. He's so committed to do good to Moses that he catches him on the way to Egypt and transforms him and makes him into a new man. And God will, God will do the same thing for us as well because God is a jealous God. He wants you. Listen, he wants to do good to you. He, he wants to use you for his glory. And, and if there is anything in our life that will hold us back and keep us from God's glory, then, then God's going to show that thing to us because he's a jealous God. Listen to what, if you doubt me, listen to what James says in James, um, in his epistle to the church. I should have wrote the reference down. Oh, I did. James, I thought I made a mistake, but I was mistaken, right? James chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. Listen to this. James says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What is James, James saying? Listen, friendship with the world is going to keep you 
from knowing God, experiencing God, being used by God to the extent that he wants. Don't you know that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do, listen, or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? He gave us his spirit for a purpose. Amen. And he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Amen. Moses was a humble man. He was a meek man. And it was because of his humility and his meekness that God says, listen, Moses, (laughs) I'm going to I'm going to get up in your face and I'm going to confront you and because I'm a jealous God and I want to use you. But he gives grace uh, to the humble. Verse number 7, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Amen. So Moses was a humble man and it was, I think it was that humility, it was that meekness that saved his life. Because if he had been arrogant and had opposed God, then he probably wouldn't have survived. But God showed him his error. God showed him that he could not go back to Egypt the same man that he came, as the same man that he came out. And God can use that kind of person. God can use you this morning. God, God wants to use you. He's committed to your success. He is so, he yearns jealously over the spirit that is within you. And so, if there's anything this morning that is keeping any of us from God using us to the extent that he desires, here's, well, let me just make it personal. I pray and I say, Lord, if there's anything in me that is keeping me from being used by you, to the extent that you want to use me, then God, I want you to show it to me. I want you to reveal it to me so that, God, I can, I can ask you to mortify that part of my flesh and help me, God, to serve you with all of my heart and with all of my strength. If there's anything that's keeping us from being all that God wants us to be, we should want to know about it. We should, want to, we, we should want God to confront us with it. And we should be willing to lay it down on the altar before God. Amen. Amen. Say, God, I don't want this to keep me from all that you desire to do in me. God, I don't want this. I, I want to be changed. I want to have the presence and the power of God in my life. I don't want to try to do things in my own power through my own ability. I've got to have your Holy Spirit. I've got to have your help.
Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.